Snazoo Tales. I'm Jenna. And I'm Mark. Thanks to all you listen- listeners for joining us for another episode of Cincinnati Zoo Tales. Jenna, we've got a really fun episode lined up today. We're here to talk invertebrates, insects, orchid mantids in particular, but we're being joined by April Pittman, who's the senior keeper at World the Insect on the World the Insect team. So thank you so much for joining us and taking the time out of your day. We appreciate it. Yeah, you're welcome. Thanks for having me. I think by the time this airs, it'll probably be a few months since we've had orchid babies born hatched. Does it matter how you say that? I don't know. Hatched, probably. Hatched. Um, (laughs) But I'm super excited. I saw on the zoo's Facebook page that there were babies, and I was... They're like my favorite insect in the whole world. I love prey mantises in general, but the orchids are just incredible. So I want to hear about Mm. them and maybe have you describe them to people and explain a little bit about them, but we always ask our guests to talk about themselves first. So, I mean, being an insect keeper is kind of rare. Being a zookeeper in general, there aren't a ton, but then insect keepers, I feel like, are even more rare, and people who love insects can be less common, I guess. So, I think they're awesome, but what made you fall in love with insects? What schooling did you do? How did you get to where you are? I mean, my background is actually in psychology. Oh, I wanted okay. to use it more for animal behavior. I actually wanted to work with killer whales. Oh. So a lot bigger than what I work with now. Yeah, <laughs> Just very a little different. Bit. <laughs> <laughs> but I've always had an interest in everything. I've had reptiles and invertebrates at home. And then I ended up uh, getting a job here as a butterfly guard. So because our building is permitted by the USDA, we have to have someone in the building at all times when our butterfly aviary is open. So I started out there, so just making sure the butterflies didn't escape, no one accidentally took them with them. And then I started volunteering with one of our keepers, Mandy, and I volunteered for about a year and a half, two years. And then a job opened up and they liked me and I knew how to do the job and kind of fell into it that way. That's awesome. So were you... Like, just trying to get a job kind of in an animal field in general when you became a guard for the butterfly aviary? Or, like, what made you decide to start here at the zoo without killer whales? Yeah, it was uh, a second job, because I needed a second job. And I'm like, well, I always kind of looked at the zoo and aquarium's Facebook pages, and that one was open. I'm like, that sounds cool. So, kind of got in that way. Awesome. That is cool. That's a very, like, interesting story, because I feel like, Typically, when you hear about people who are into, you know, zookeeping in particular, it's people who knew, always knew they wanted to work with this one species and had worked so long to get there. So it's really funny to me that, like, your kind of goal initially was killer whales and then you turn, take an about face and you end up working with invertebrates. That's really cool. Yeah, a lot different. I've been here 10 years as a keeper. So I love it. I plan on retiring here. It's an awesome place to work. And I think it's really awesome that you changed just from having this like part-time job you decided this is something that I really want to do and I assumed that you would be somebody who loved insects your whole life which obviously you said you have invertebrates and reptiles so you probably like them but I don't know it's such I think it's such a niche like field or whatever that I'm surprised that it wasn't something you've always thought of. Yeah very much so and I don't think I ever thought I would have ended up at the insect house. Um, I used to be very arachnophobic. Oh no way. Yeah I'm a lot better now um, but it was a thing for a very long time where I was very arachnophobic, so. Wow, good for you for, yeah. like, working through that. Because <laughs> you see spiders all the time, right? Yeah. I mean, uh, on a daily basis, there's spiders in your area. I don't know how often you go out to the public area, but. Yeah, the, the, I mean, the ones we have aren't bad. Most of them are just hanging out in their cages. Yeah. And within the insect team, do you guys have a specific way that you kind of divide up your species that you work with? Do you each have species of interest or does everyone kind of take care of everything and you rotate? How do you kind of divide the work over there? So we have stuff that we're each in charge of. So everyone can take care of everything, but we have stuff that we're kind of specialized in. Um, Mandy, who's our team leader, she takes care of our katydids and grasshoppers. She also does our American Bearing Beetle program. Uh, Michelle does our millipedes, beetles, and roaches. Kelly is in charge of all of our arachnids, scorpions, spiders. We have some cool new whip spiders in. She also does all of our walking sticks. And then mm. I take care of our aquatic insects and reptiles that are in the building, plus mantids and the uh, blue death feeding beetle. Very cool. Okay, so the mantids, they're amazing. And we. Will you explain to people just what mantids are in general, and then we can go into, like, specifically the orchid mantises? Yeah, so they're a type of insect. So you've got the order um, insecta, and then underneath that you've got ants, you've got beetles. Well, mantids are just another um, type underneath that. And there's about 2,400 species throughout the world. No way. Yeah, every continent except for Antarctica. Okay. And then 
the U.S. has about 21 species of their own. I had no idea. Yeah. How many can we find in our local Ohio, Kentucky, Indiana region? Three. Three. And yeah. what types are those? Um, there's a Chinese mantis, a European mantis, and a Carolina mantis. Are those considered invasive? I feel like I've heard that thrown around before. The but... European and the Chinese mantis are both considered invasive. Mm. Okay. Um, they're here to stay, like they're breeding and everything. Um, the Chinese mantids are the one you probably see the most. They're the very large green ones. Okay. They tend to push out our little Carolina mantids, <sighs> who are probably them. like an inch or two. So they do cause issues. Yes. Okay. Mm. How the, long do you know how long it was that they kind of got introduced to this area or is it one of those things that's like they've been here for as long as people can remember? Yeah, I have no yeah. idea. But yeah, they're here now. They're mm. established. So the ones we're most commonly seeing are the Chinese ones and then there's the Carolina ones. Yes. And then European. Yeah. What are the what are the European ones like? I actually well, don't know a lot about those. Okay. Like, do you know if they're bigger or smaller than the uh, Carolina ones? I have no idea. Okay. I'll have to look them up because I feel like we pro most people probably assume they're either seeing a baby and an adult versus like two different species. Mm. Yeah, and depending on the species, the males and females can be completely different sizes. Oh yeah, that makes sense. I think they're, so, well, I always call them praying mantises. Is that something you could call for all of them? Is that like a antiquated term or something <laughs> that I learned just growing up? Do you know anything about that? I don't know where that came from because okay. that's how I always knew them. But yeah, that's kind of an overall term. There's not like a specific mantis that's called a praying mantis. Okay. They're all technically praying mantis. Okay. And the reason I brought that up is because like for anybody, if you don't know what a praying mantis is in general or a mantis is, I suggest looking up a picture. They are the coolest looking mm -hmm. insects, but they often stand with like their front like forearms? I don't know. Yeah, what they're called uh, raptorial forelegs. Oh, okay. And it looks like they're just like, they kind of hold them together. So it doesn't yeah. really look like looks they're like praying, but it kind of is. <laughs> yeah. And, and then they can catch things with those, right? Oh, ridiculously. Like the orchid mantids that we're going to talk about, they eat mostly flying insects. That's incredible. They're like, I mean, I was going to say carnivorous, but I guess they're eating insects. So are they insectivores? Insectivores, but I mean, a big enough mantis will eat us like a small bird. The Chinese wow. mantids that we have around here have been known to catch hummingbirds. No way. Yeah, like a lot of people will see them on their hummingbird feeders. And if you do see them on your hummingbird feeders, knock them off. Yeah. <laughs> because they're sitting there getting ready to eat hummingbirds. Actually, now that wow. you say that, I feel like I have seen something floating around Facebook warning people of that, but I didn't know that it was true. Yeah. Because you, they're, they're big, but I can't imagine them like eating an entire hummingbird. Yeah. But watching the videos of them, like, actually catch an insect and eat it. I mean, I've seen some slow-mo videos online where seeing it in slow motion is inspiring. It is something else. <laughs> it is very fast yeah. how quickly they can just grab stuff out of midair. And how strong they must be to actually hold it down. Like a hummingbird, mm -hmm. I mean, I yeah. don't know. That's incredible. Um, so yeah, I don't know why. I just find them fascinating. I think they're the coolest, like, from the things that they do and how they're usually, like, they can fly, but you can walk right up to them and sometimes, like, just put them on your hand and they don't seem to be as, like, nervous as other insects? Yeah, they don't have a lot of fear. Their eyesight's pretty good um, because I don't know if you've ever picked one up. They'll turn and look at you. Yeah, it's mm. incredible. I love it. Okay, so I just suggest looking up a mantid. But mantis, mantid, we've decided that we can say it either way. <laughs> yeah, doesn't matter. <laughs> um, but the orchid mantises, they're just gorgeous. Please tell us anything and everything about them. <laughs> so they're probably my favorite species to work with at the moment. I've always wanted us to have them but they're very hard to care for and hard to raise, mm -hmm. So, and they're hard to get into the country. They're actually, for anyone without a permit, illegal to bring into the country, which is how we got ours. Oh. There's an illegal pet trade, um, and that happens with insects too. So at the CBG airport, they'll confiscate insects that are brought into the country illegally, and sometimes we'll take them. So they're one of the species that we took in. And we didn't know what it was at first, it just came in as an egg case. Just oh. a We knew it was a mantis egg case, but that was it. Um, and then they hatched, and we knew immediately they were orchid mantids. They're really cool when they hatch. They're not that, like, white and fuchsia color you normally see. They're red with black legs. Wow. And they think that that's to mimic an assassin bug nymph, which are actually venomous. So it's a way to help them survive. Mm. That makes sense, and it's also incredible that they can change coloration that dramatically. Yeah, yeah. and then their next molt, so, after they'll, so they'll hatch, and then they'll have their first molt after that that's when they turn that kind of like white with sometimes they get like this bright fuchsia color on their legs. They truly look like mm. a plant, like a beautiful orchid yeah. flower. Yeah, and they've actually done studies of like how other 
like flying insects see flowers and like what colors they see and apparently orchids blend in in that respect too Wow. So, so they can catch their prey yeah, easier. Yeah, so that's why they're there. They blend into flowers, and then they just sit and wait. They're ambush predators. Interesting. And you said ours came in as part of the illegal pet trade, unfortunately. Where yeah. are they coming from? Like, what's their home range? Uh, they're from Malaysia, or like okay. South Southeast Asia, so Malaysia, Thailand, Philippines. This is not your expertise, so I don't expect you to know the answer, but do you know how the people that are finding animals or insects in the illegal pet trade, or like coming through the airport... Do you know how, like, for example, this specific egg case was discovered? How did they get it onto the plane to begin with? Or, like, how are they figuring it out? Do you know that part? Uh, some of it. So they, one of the batches, we've had three separate batches of egg cases. Oh, my gosh. Um, over the, the course, yeah, in 2020, we ended up, over the course of three months, getting 43 egg cases wow. um, of different species of mantids. It was 19 different species. Oh, my gosh. Wow. So, and then when one of the... One of the confiscations, they were shipping them as keychains. <gasps> they had the egg cases, which just almost look like styrofoam balls. There's yeah. a bunch of different shapes. The main ones, you'll see them around here. The Chinese mantid ones look like little styrofoam balls. Uh, they're just tan in color. But they had them attached to keychains. And that's what they were shipped as. Well, the issue what? is the ones that they had shipped in, um, one of the egg cases started hatching. <laughs> So oh, when no. it went through the scanner, they saw a bunch of stuff crawling around it, and that's what prompted them to pull it and take a better look at it. Oh, my gosh. Did you see the keychains? Like, were they, what were they? Uh, they took <laughs> pictures. It was just, like, key rings. And then they had the A-cases on the key ring. Oh, the A-cases on the key ring. Yeah. I thought the A-case was attached to, like, a little rectangle that says, like, Key West, Florida. Oh. You know, like, <laughs> no. like, like, a, like souvenir in a souvenir shop. Yeah. <laughs> Wow, how do you think they make that happen? Because obviously they're laying their egg cases on foliage normally, right? Yeah, you can pull them off and you could hot glue them to things. Oh so gosh. we actually, to raise them, when we got the egg cases in, the orientation of the egg case does matter when oh. you go to hatch them. So we had to figure out, since all the egg cases look different, we had to figure out which way you're supposed to orient them. But we just hot glue them to a screen lid. Interesting. Interesting. So the egg, the egg cases are pretty hardy then. I always picture them as very fragile, but they can withstand kind of like, you know, movement in luggage or changes in temperature and that stuff without a problem. Yeah, it's not an issue for them. Interesting. I mean, it was good, good enough for them to bad, hatch in there. Yeah. yeah. Wow. That is so interesting. So they see something crawling around and they just, somebody gets a hold of the zoo or whatever proper authorities contact you guys at yeah. some point. We have a relationship with U.S. Fish and Wildlife. Up there, so when they see something, they'll call us and see if you know we want it, if we have room for it, that kind of thing. Yeah, I'm sure there's plenty of factors that go into, you know, spatial needs. If we have any, you know, uh, experience with the species, whatever yeah. it may be, I'm sure all that kind of plays into it. But that's just interesting because there really aren't that many facilities that handle insects on the level that you guys do over at the insect house. So yeah, and even us before all these confiscations, I had experience with three species of mantids. And now I have experience with 22 species of mantids. Wow. Do you so. see much difference in how to care for them? Like, is it one, obviously you said the orchids are harder, which I think is funny because orchid flowers are really hard to take care of too, I feel <laughs> like. Um, but do you see like a major difference in that, the care of them? A huge difference. Really? Um, we weren't successful on a lot of them because we didn't know what they were. Okay. Um, one of the species we got in, they need, ex which we knew what that A case was, which helped, but they need a very high heat. Like, they almost need to be at, like, 95 degrees. Oh, my gosh. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, that species, too, the males mature faster than the females. So we had an issue with that where we weren't able to raise them because by the time the females were adults and ready to breed, the males were almost dead. Wow. Um, and Interesting. Yeah. And with uh, a lot of the other species, a lot of them you can't keep together. There are some species you can keep communal. Um, they are predatory. They will eat each other. Mm. Some species do that more than others. So with the orchid mantids, they, for the most part, once they're, after their second or third molt, we have to raise them individually. Okay. Interesting. So can you explain to people how big they are when they first come out of the egg case and um, how many there are of them? So probably for the orchid mantids, I'm trying to think, it can be anywhere from like one to probably 50 hatchlings coming out of one egg case I feel like I for that species. One around one of the species that lives here, and I remembered it being tons oh, of little the, ones coming out at the once. The Chinese that come out from around here, 
the Chinese mantids, it's like 200. Holy cow. Oh okay, yes, yeah, so that's what I'm yeah. imagining. So, but an orchid mantid could only be one and per egg case? It, it could be. Most of the time you get multiples. Okay. Um, my most recent egg cases, it was lower numbers. There were probably like 10 in each, but I've had up to 50 in each egg case. But that's such a, an extreme difference. Yeah. And it makes yeah. sense. I mean, I guess I haven't even asked. I assume the orchids are more endangered or harder to care for because of that. Is that something like a lower reproductive rate is, or are they not endangered? Uh, I don't think they're endangered. Okay, that's good. Um, I mean, everything that is being collected from the that's pet trade is an issue. Mm-hmm. I think that's whether why or not it's a pro- <laughs> whether or not it's a problem now or it's going to be a problem in the future. Yeah, um, they're harder to raise because, like the other species I was talking about, the males mature faster. So if I have an egg case that hatches, if I raise them the exact same, the males will be dead before the females are even ready to reproduce. Would you want mm. them to reproduce with, from the same egg case, though? It's not as big of a deal in insects. Okay. I mean, the m- more genetics I can get, the better. And I do try, when I have a few different egg cases, to try and keep track of parentage and genetics. But it's not as big of a deal as you get with mammals. Okay. Um, reptiles, too, you can inbreed a little bit. It's not preferable, but a lot of the color morphs you see in different reptiles, it's from inbreeding. Yeah. Mm. Um, because they're breeding for a specific gene. So you mentioned with the mantids, like the the males will age quicker than the females. Yes. What is the typical kind of like, like lifestyle? Mantids don't go through like a larval stage or anything, right? Like what's the, the lifespan or life cycle look like? For uh, it's called incomplete metamorphosis. Okay. So instead of yeah, like instead of a butterfly where you have a cat egg, caterpillar, pupa, and then adult butterfly, with the mantids you'll have an egg case and you have hatchlings and then you have an adult. So it's only three stages, and the hatchlings and the like nymphs look like small mantids. Okay. They usually at the adult stage is when they'll get their wings. So sometimes the stage right before they become adults, they'll have like wing nubs, but they don't get their wings until they're adults. I think yeah. that's why I like one of the reasons I like them too is they're super cute. They just look like <laughs> teeny yeah. tiny miniature adults. Yeah. How can you tell the difference between the males and females? Does it take a while to be able to tell and like separate them that way? Yeah. Or? It usually takes a few weeks to a month. Um, because I have to let them get till about what's called fourth instar. So each molt, so when they hatch out of the egg case, they're considered first instar. Then when they molt, it's second instar. And molting is like shedding. Yeah, okay. Um, and then you have third instar, fourth instar. And they have, each species has a certain amount before they get to be an adult. And it's the same amount. Um, and then with the mantids, the females go through one or two more than the males. Oh, okay. Which is why they reproduce slower, or why they mature slower. That makes sense. So there is a few ways to tell. With a lot of mantis species, you can tell by the number of segments on their abdomen. Oh. Um, the issue is when I have to tell, the mantids are probably about the size of a dime. Wow. So oh, wow. <laughs> I can't really count their abdomen spacing. Um, orchid mantids, there's also two other ways to tell. The females will develop a horn in between their eyes. Oh. And so that's a way you can see that coming up in the females. And then they also have almost what looks like a collar on their back. The males, it's brown, and the females, it's green. Oh, okay. Now, sometimes it's brownish green or greenish brown, (laughs) which, so it's not a perfect science, and there's been times where I've messed it up, and I don't know until they're adults or at least a little bit older, Mm. but... We've gotten pretty good at it, but you, we have to use a magnifying glass sometimes to be able to see the horn in the segments. And how long does it take for them to get to maturity? I feel like it's like four months. Four months, okay. Yeah. Oh yeah, did you ask how long their lifespan is in general? It's not very long. So the females, usually about six months once they become adults. Okay. They usually about six months. Um, and then the males, it's probably two or three are oh, you wow. speaking specifically to the orchid yes. mantises? Okay. Are yes. there any species that live longer that you know of? Yeah. Our dead leaf mantids that we have right now, the females, I mean, we're pushing a year, if not more, as adults. That's nice. Uh, the Chinese mantids, too, in captivity or in human care are um, over a year. Okay. Yeah. In the wild, they're, they're not because once winter hits... They will last through winter. Yeah. So they hatch. So around here, they hatch in the spring, and then about summer, they're ready to mate. They mate. They lay egg cases, and then and the egg usually, cases are just hardy enough to make it through. Yeah, the they winters. go through like a diapause, and they make it through okay. winter. But all the adults will die off yeah. for winter. Yeah, it makes sense. And that's why a lot of people that get Christmas trees, um, if there's a mantis egg case on the Christmas tree, when they bring it inside and it warms up, the egg case is like, oh, it's spring, time to hatch, <laughs> and that's how people get mantids all in their house. So many. Yeah. I'll say several hundred per egg case. Yes. Yeah, they're everywhere. 
<laughs> so um, oh, you say like you you've messed it up or whatever, which I'm not trying to point out that, but the fact that you kind of have to help facilitate, I feel like for insects breeding and it's a lot different than for example, hippos, they're just, they just live together and yeah. they just, it just happens, you know, like there's, we don't have to do anything special, you know, we're trying hard to not let them mate. Like yeah. is it different with insects and, and mantises and like, do you have to do really specific things? You said some of them are communal, like for the orchids, are they one male, one female, and you decide to put them together at a certain time? Or how yes. does that work? Yeah, so for, I mean, most of our insects, we either have to give them the correct environment when it comes to heat and things like that. Some stuff, as long as you give them the correct environment, they'll do their thing. Some stuff needs a something to tell them it's time to mate, or time to lay eggs, or time for the eggs to hatch, which can be heat, it can be moisture. With the mantids, I do have to put them together. So even the ones that are communal, once they become adults, I usually will keep the males together and then the females together. Okay. Because as is the stereotype, the females will eat the males. I was mm. going to ask that. Yes. And a okay. lot of times the males are smaller too. So usually if I can keep them communally, the females do okay together because they're the same size. Okay. But if the males are smaller, they're usually food. That's common across mantis species in general, yes. right? It Not doesn't just always have to happen. But it is something that does happen frequently. Mm. Is it like to help them have more protein for better egg laying, or what would be the purpose for, of that? I mean, that's my best guess when okay. it comes to evolutionarily. Because they just need the nutrition, or yeah, mm. they need that because they're going to produce a lot of eggs, and it just takes a lot of energy. Yeah, because otherwise, it's like why why eat them? It doesn't really make sense. Those males <laughs> sacrificing for their young out there. Yeah, yeah pretty much. much. <laughs> yeah. So what are what are the temperatures and like the humidity or the different like specifics that you have to do to keep the orchids alive? So our building is about 75 degrees. So we keep that as kind of like a general range. We also try and keep the humidity around 60% all year round. Okay. Um, with the orchid mantids, I always try and keep their substrate moist just to give them a little bit extra humidity because they should probably be closer to 80% humidity. That makes mm. sense. And then with the heat, that's one way that I'm able to get the males and females to mature at different rates. Oh, so for the females, once I can separate them, the females, I keep them at about 82 degrees. Okay. So they're a lot warmer, and then they get an abundance of food. They get as much food as they want, because the more food and the more heat, the quicker they'll grow. That makes sense. Uh, the males are at about 73 degrees. I literally found the coolest spot in our building to keep them. <laughs> I was just going to ask, how do you change the temperatures? Because they don't have like an individual heater for every enclosure that they're in, do they? Uh, some of our stuff does, okay. but uh, with them, I have a few heat lamps um, oh, over um, a certain shelf, okay. and it keeps that area around 82. And then the males, like I said, I kept them, I found like the coolest spot in the building <laughs> to try and keep them. And the males are on a strict feeding schedule. It's okay. enough, but they're not going to get fat. And what are you feeding them? Flies. Flies. They eat um, fruit flies and house flies. Oh, we also sometimes will give them uh, soldier flies. The adult females, we can give crickets. We'll usually tong feed them crickets. Okay. But they like stuff that's flying around. Yeah, mm. that makes sense. They'll only eat live prey, right? They don't. Yes. They won't eat anything if it's already been dead. Nope. Okay. Where do you get flies from? This is a question that we get asked. <laughs> like, okay, you feed your lions like goat pieces. Like, where do you get the goat from? That's a question we get often. What? Where do? You, and I know we get crickets, and I know there are, you can go to the pet store and buy crickets or mealworms. Yeah. Where do you buy flies? We raise them. No so okay. we raise two different species of fruit flies. One of them is actually a wingless variety, which is nice for feeding off to some of our aquatic insects so they can see movement, but the mm. flies don't fly away. Okay. Um, and then we we raise, they're called virilis fruit flies, but they are, I don't know if they're the same species that we see around here, but uh, they're about the same size. Okay. And yeah, we raise those uh, just in jars, like mason jars. So we constantly have a supply of those. I feel like because of college, that seems like doable and sort of normal. Like fruit flies, you always do like experiments biology experiments with them. With yeah. them. <laughs> yeah, experiments with them. A lot of people, you'll see a lot of people that raise them that have dart frogs mm -hmm. and anything else that's going to eat really tiny things. But so we raise fruit flies and we raise house flies. Wow. Which what is, does that look like? I feel like I need to come back and see, I want to see the mantids, of course, but do you just have this buzzing, horribly annoying container of flies? Uh, we have a pretty big habitat for them. Okay. And then, so we have all the flies in there and twice a week we'll put a uh, little cup of wet cat food in and we leave that in there for two days 
And so the flies lay their eggs, and then you have maggots crawling around in Ugh. the cup. And then they actually make uh, like fly diet to raise no to raise houseflies. So wow. we'll mix that up, put that in a jar, and then uh, Mandy usually is the one that does it, but she'll scoop up um, a certain amount of maggots and put them in the jar. And then after about two and a half weeks, you have houseflies. Hmm. And so we just kind of repeat that. Catch them when you need to use them for feeding. A dustbuster. No way. Yeah, we have a little dust buster that we stick in the cage and suck them out with that. And then we use um, some CO2 to knock them or to like uh, anesthetize them. Okay. Just so we can put them in another container to feed. Wow. And then that way they'll wake back up. Mm. Um, that was an interesting problem we had because we had, I probably had 50 cups of individual mantids. So I had to give houseflies to 50 individual wow. cups every day. Well, that um, doing the CO2, it doesn't anesthetize it for very long. I yeah. mean, maybe a minute. Okay. So we had to come up with a solution, and Mandy had remembered the St. Louis Zoo doing this one thing with their uh, nephla, which are type of spiders, but it's actually just a cup in a cup. So there's just like a 32-ounce cup, and you have another 32-ounce cup where you cut the bottom out, and then you stack them. Okay. So then you can just pull the top cup completely out and put the houseflies underneath the bottom of that cup. And oh. then that way the flies, is, you're not like lifting a lid and trying to put flies in. You're kind of putting them underneath. It's very hard to explain. I, I usually I'm have to show people pictures. Okay. But so what, how does that help or what is that doing as far as feeding? Uh, it allows us to feed off the houseflies while they're flying around because oh. I'll put a bunch of houseflies in a cup and then they'll wake up. But then I have, it's actually their uh, dentine gum cups. <laughs> which are amazing. Uh, but I have, they have a little flip top lid. Yeah. So then I just kind of stick it under, pop it open, let a few flies fly up, oh. pop it back, put the cup back in the other cup, and then move on. <laughs> That's efficient. I, I would have this. never thought to use that process, but yeah. it, it makes sense that it efficiently feeds when you have 50 different cups of mantids yes, to work with. <laughs> to feed every day. Wow. And so... I mean, and you have other species of mantids too. So are you ever just like releasing flies into the habitats that people can see or is it always individually fed? Uh, no, we have some that are communal. So some of them get crickets, some eat flies. The dead leaf mantids that we have, they'll eat crickets. Okay. So we usually will feed crickets. If we ever have, like there's a chance for zoo babies, we might have orchid mantids on display Yay. because I have some babies now that we might be able to put out. Um, but the... Houseflies will have to, we feed them out in the mornings. Okay. And then, so there might still be some flying around by the time people come in and see them. But it's mostly just like in the mornings and they catch them right away. Yeah. And, okay. And how much is each mantis eating? Like uh, two flies? What what makes up it its diet? It depends on how big they are. The ones that are probably about a dime size eat one to two houseflies. And then as they get bigger, I have some that will probably sit on a quarter. They could eat eight houseflies at wow. a time. Wow. I was assuming the babies were eating the fruit flies. I mean, so, and then I'm like, the, the really tiny babies are, are eating the fruit flies, and those I can't count as yeah. well. So they just kind of <laughs> sure. get like a little puff of fruit flies. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. Okay, so will you go back a little bit to when you received the egg case? Yes. Then they hatched. What is your next step? Like, what does that look like? And then what did you do for the breeding? Have you had more than one successful? Well, it sounds like yes. Are these we're on our second generation so we had the ones that came in and they hatched we raised them we bred them sorry what then, timeline was that what so that was in 2020 okay so we received a bunch of them in 2020 and then they hatched we raised those bred those they laid eight cases those eight cases hatched we raised those bred those and then the babies we have now are their babies okay okay Awesome. I had no idea you had had these this whole time. I, have they been on display or is it mostly just in the background? They're on display now. Okay. Um, they're not, they weren't always on display, especially when we first got them. So with the confiscations, a lot of times when we get them, we just have custody of them. We don't have, they're not actually ours. Oh, um, yes. Or we have not even custody of them. We just are holding them. That makes sense. Um, because they do prosecute the people that bring them into the country illegally. So until the case is finalized, we're not allowed to show them off. Oh, that makes so much sense. Interesting. Yeah, so it could be a few months easy before we could say, hey, now we have this cool thing. Right. And that, yeah. That's unfortunate. What are some of the other ones that you guys have, reptiles or insects that you've, I just find this interesting. I know it's not what we were coming to talk, <laughs> talk about, but I find it really interesting. Like, is it as, it, you make it sound like it's kind of common. Oh, it's super common. So sadly. Yeah. So we have um, 
some white knee tarantulas that were part of a confiscation of 250 spiderlings. Oh my gosh. Um, we have these uh, really neat whip spiders. Um, if anyone has ever seen, I think it's the fourth Harry Potter movie, there's a whip spider in there. It's a big one, and we have that kind of species. And then we've gotten all the mantids. Like wow. I said, 19 species. That's inc mm. insane. Wow. Incredible, insane. How many do we still currently have? Do we, we don't have 19 species in the No. Do we? Okay, I was no. going to say. I mean, fortunately and unfortunately. So fortunately because that is a lot to take care of. Yeah. Because <laughs> if you do the math, 43 egg cases, 50 to 100 babies per egg case. That's it's mantis mania. It was thousands of mantis. It was a lot. I think at one time, after a bunch had hatched, I guesstimated we had about 800 hatchlings. Um, there were mantids everywhere. Um, but and you've got to feed every one of them a couple fruit flies. <laughs> sometimes, depending on what they are, <laughs> yeah, a puff, puff of fruit flies. <laughs> the ones that we can keep communally are a little easier. Um, so some of the species we had. With the egg cases, one or two of the egg cases didn't hatch at all, so we were never able to identify those. Mm -hmm. um, some of the egg cases only hatched out one or two, okay. and again, because we didn't know what they were. I didn't know if they needed higher heat or higher humidity right. or what they needed to hatch. Um, some of the ones that did hatch were very predatory to their siblings, oh. So, and there was no way to raise everything individually, and there was no way to know until it was too late. Yeah. With the orchid mantis, when they hatched out, we knew immediately what they were. Okay, which because was of the nice. red and black? Yes. Yeah, we knew immediately. Okay. Um, so that gives, that obviously gives you an, a leg up because, yes. I mean, you're kind of playing behind the eight ball if you don't know what species you're taking care of, right? And that's yeah. one of the trickiest parts with insects. You man mentioned how many mantid species there were. It's not like you can sit through and go through every single species out. There's probably not even a, a textbook to do that right now. <laughs> there is a textbook on them, which we did oh. utilize to identify a few of the egg cases. Okay. Um, but it was few and far between. Most of them we had to wait until they became adults. Um, some of them didn't make it to adulthood, so we don't know what species they were. There was a really cool species we had. It was a very large, bright green species. We ended up getting a male and a female to adulthood, but she produced an egg case that never hatched. Oh. Mm. So that was a shame. And do you know what that species was? Yeah, or? it's a um, It's a type of macromantis is oh, what they're called. So it's a giant? Yeah, oh, they were huge and beautiful. Do you know I, where they're from? I don't. Okay. So when you... You have these orchid mantises, and they're coming from illegally, illegal circumstances. Yep. Is it because people want them to show off, or like they are hobbyists and they want to care for them? Like, you wouldn't think that this would be a big money maker, but is it? And oh, why? Yes. People want them as pets. I mean, not everyone's a cat and dog person, yeah. and I completely get that. I mean, I am a cat and dog person too, but <laughs> not everyone is. A lot of people mm. like reptiles. A lot of people like invertebrates. They just think they're amazing. So, so it, it's not necessarily out of horrible reason. It's not it's just not to make money or, yeah. They, now, okay. the people bringing them in, that is just to make money. Yeah, okay. Um, unfortunately, a lot of people that get them probably don't even know that yeah. they're illegal. They just think they're neat. That makes sense. Mm -hmm. and I, I think that's kind of become, unfortunately, more common. But I've seen the same things with, like, uh, kind of like the illegal pet trade with tarantulas as well. Yeah. I know you mentioned you guys got some from them. Um mm -hmm like some tarantulas confiscated from CVG, those are a species that I think a lot of people are very interested in, and they are kind of charismatic spiders. If you are an arachnid person, yeah. they're mm -hmm. very charismatic spiders, and they're, they would be really cool to have as a pet. Unfortunately, a lot of them come from illegal circumstances like this, but I, I think that's becoming more and more common, unfortunately, with some of these insect species. Yeah, they're, I mean, they're really neat. Yes. Like, I love taking care of them, don't get me wrong. But unfortunately, there's issues when things are brought in, um, especially like with agriculture, if it eats plants, that can be a huge issue. I wonder if that's mm -hmm. where the Chinese and Europeans, like how they ended up here was partly because somebody thought they were cool and wanted to bring them or sell them. Maybe they could have been brought around like shipping containers. That's how a lot of roaches I guess that makes sense, here. especially with the egg cases being so hardy. It's yeah. like they were just laid Yeah, brought around place. plants. You mm -hmm. see a lot of stuff brought around plants. Uh, that makes sense. So I had a question about when you are breeding your orchid mantises. Yeah. How are you, or are you keeping, or how are you keeping, if you are, the females from eating the males? Do you just let nature play its course, or do you separate them because you want to breed again in the future? I separate them because I want to breed in the future if I can. Okay. That's preferable. Um, the biggest thing is to feed the females. Usually if you can get the female to take a cricket from you and she's busy, she'll oh. leave them alone. 
not uh, all the time, and depending on how long it takes, because a lot of times he won't go right over to her. So I have to keep an eye on him. Um, there's been some where I put the male in for them to breed. I come back two minutes later, and she's eating him. And mm. I'm like, there wasn't even time. <laughs> <laughs> So you're just using the old bait and switch. Take one food item out of your hand, put another food item in your hand. Pretty much. <laughs> yeah. And it, even if she's not, or she's finished with her food and he's not finished, I'll give her another cricket just to try and keep her entertained. And if I notice that they've bred and they're done, I'll take him out if I can. Okay. Mm. Because it is preferable. I mean, it's preferable for him not to get eaten in right. general. Mm-hmm. And breeding him again would be useful for genetics. Yeah. yeah. Do you keep them with, like, orchid-looking plants so that they feel safe and can hide? Or how, what is their situation? like? I don't know how much they feel safe on plants. Okay. We do usually put fake orchids in there because it looks pretty. Uh-huh. <laughs> but any sort of like brightly colored flowers, they'll sit on. Okay. But you had mentioned also you'll let the kind of females live with other females, males live with other males. You don't experience any like cannibalism in that regard? So with the orchids, I don't keep the females together. Okay. Um, but the males, I keep them separate one, and then once they become adults, because I need to make sure I can manage how much they're eating. And if they're communally, mm. I can't manage how much they're eating. Gotcha. So I want to make sure I can manage that. So I keep them individually until they're adults. And then a lot of males I found can be communal even ones so no one raises orchids communally it's just known as a thing in the hobby that you don't and a lot of that's because i figure most people only get a few they're not going to risk it yeah well at one point we had 50 males wow and so i'm like well let's try them together because the males don't seem to be as cannibalistic as the females once they become adults they really have one job Mm. so the males were able to keep communally which is pretty neat sometimes depending on how many we have at a time Sometimes we'll have a display of a few males and then a female next to them. I was going to say, admittedly, I don't get out of the Africa area very often. So that is, if somebody were going to insect world right now, what would they see as far as a few males and a female next to them? Right now we just have uh, one female on display. Okay. And do you just pick a random one? Yeah. One okay. that looks good. <laughs> the prettiest? <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Do you name them? No. No. <laughs> it's hard to tell them apart. Yeah, yeah, hard to tell apart. I mean, I, since I keep them individually, I do keep track of their genetics, so they each have, like, a code, uh-huh. um, usually a letter and a number. Okay. But no names, usually. Yeah, I gotta imagine it'd be tough naming 800 little right. mantids as yes. they hatch from all their egg cases. <laughs> Telling them apart, giving them names. Yeah, and then That's one of the cool. b- biggest things with raising them, too, is um, when they're molting, it's difficult for them takes a lot of energy and that's usually where things go wrong so humidity Mm. plays a big part in that they have to be pretty humid during that time in order to get successfully through their molds so are you Mm. making sure that you get eyes on every individual every day or is it like weekly no every day i see yeah every day i look at all of them like not just the orchid mantises but all of the mantises or yes wow Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah just looking over everything seeing everyone's doing can you tell when they're about to molt and if so what do you look for you can't really tell when they're about to molt. I mainly just make sure their abdomens are pretty puffy to make sure they're eating. Okay. Um, if they're if their abdomen's pretty full and they're young and they look like they might be getting ready to molt, I might make sure I don't put as many flies as normal because they hang from their molt. And so if and they hang there to dry. So if they get knocked off from like flies flying around them and they fall, they'll molt improperly and they won't make it. Oh interesting. So many mm. like little things as big animal keepers that we wouldn't yeah. think of. Yeah, some like micro details yeah. that you have yeah. to pay attention to. I would never think, hey, I can't put this fly in with this mantis today because it could knock it off from its mold. Yeah. yeah, there's an issue a lot of times with tarantulas like that. A lot of tarantula keepers, when, you know, in the hobby, if they don't know a lot about tarantulas, when they molt, they flip on their backs. They're mm-hmm. very vulnerable. And so if you have crickets just running around in there, a lot oh. of people's tarantulas have been killed by crickets. Wow. Because they're very defenseless at that point. Hmm. That's wild. Interesting. I love insects. And it's always, I always learn, you know, a million new things when we talk to one of you guys. I know. The mantids are my favorite. For sure. For sure. You did mention you worked with some other invertebrates, though. Or yeah. Is there any specific ones that you have really drawn your care or, like, your interest or your love? Like, I mean, my blue death fainting beetles are probably one of my favorites. So we are the only zoo that breeds them currently. They haven't wow. been known. There are hobbyists that breed them, but as zoos, we were the first ones to be able to do that. 
Props um, to your team. That's thanks. awesome. Yeah. Yeah. It took like six years for me to figure out how to do it. What's and, the secret sauce? Uh, heat. So they need to be at, once they are ready to pupate, so kind of like a caterpillar turns into a chrysalis, to get them to do that, they need to be bumped up to 88 degrees. Wow. So we actually have incubators for them. Specifically 88 degrees. Specifically 88 degrees. Like 90 would not, would it be too much? 90 might work. Okay. But 88 seems to be like the minimum. Like they need to get up to that point. Otherwise they're not going to pupate. Wow. So that was the biggest issue. So we, it's not, it's cool right now because two of the ones we have on display are captive raised. Okay. You probably won't be able to tell which ones, um, but they're really cool. And I'm glad that we're able to captive raise them because the more things we're able to raise in human care, the less we have to possibly collect. Right. Definitely. Um, yeah. Because insects don't live very long. Yeah. Like, I mean, these beetles live, they can live upwards of eight years. Oh, no way. Yeah. For an insect, that's yeah. a long it is. time. Yeah. But we have some beetles that live three months, yeah. but take nine months to get there. So we constantly are having to work on having overlapping generations with things. And then we just became, so a lot of mammals have like the species survival plan mm -hmm. throughout zoos. We have something similar to that. Um, it's called swarm. But the goal is to have at least five zoos throughout the country that has a sustainable population. So not necessarily surplus, but a sustainable population. And I became the coordinator for that. Oh, so I've been reaching out. Thanks. I've been reaching out to other zoos and trying to give them the information on how to breed them and see if we can start getting other zoos to breed them and have a sustainable population. And these are the beetles that will like kind of faint or yes. like roll over and play dead. Yeah, that mean, is their, own, that is their only defense. No, that's it. They, they, <laughs> they play dead. They're called death feigning. That's yeah. They will play dead, and I've seen one do it for up to forty-five minutes. Oh my gosh! Yeah, he committed the part. Some of them, <laughs> he committed. Yeah, he did. Some of them get used to it. You know, if I flip them over on their back, usually they'll stay that way. Wow. But some of them are just done with me. They're like, no, I'm done. I'm gonna flip back over. Oh, I remember, I think we used them, um, and our ambassador, yeah, when I was for working for Wild Encounters, we were using them as like an animals that went out to the public and yeah. people could see. But at the time I didn't realize that they were so hard to breed and probably pretty rare in zoos. So yeah, they're not, they're actually not that rare, but unfortunately that's just because they're easy to collect. Oh, mm. and so, where are they from? Uh, Arizona. Oh, no way. I don't know why I would not have thought the United States. Yeah. Though I used to talk about them. I should know. <laughs> yeah. They're native. Oh, interesting. Well, thank you for sharing so much about all of this. Is there anything we didn't touch on that you think is interesting or you wanted to share that we haven't before we get into trivia? Nothing that I can think of. We talked about a lot of stuff. Yeah, we did. I know. I appreciate you taking the time and teaching us. Because like Jenna said, like these insect episodes are like for me like the horticulture episodes as well those are always some of my most enjoyable ones because i learned so much like insect what you guys do over there is just a totally different world of zookeeping it's a totally different style and i always think it's so interesting to kind of get into that world and see what it's like it is and it's really nice too because we're always learning i mean like i said three years ago i worked with three mantis species and now i've worked with 22. that's a really like i mean it's again unfortunate but fortunate you get this really cool opportunity of like constantly learning and, and working with new species, but yeah. it's sad, the circumstances, I yeah, guess. Yeah, the circumstances are sad, but sometimes we do get new species in the correct way right? Yes, from, other, from other zoos, so it's it's nice to learn. Yeah. I mean, you could learn about a new insect every day and never know every yeah. insect. Right. And at least you're able to kind of make the most out of those bad situations when animals are confiscated because you're learning how to take care of a new species that you wouldn't have had that knowledge and experience otherwise, and maybe now, like... Not necessarily that the blue death fainting beetles came from this same situation, but yeah. in the future you might be able to start a, a breeding plan and share it with other zoos because of what you learned from these cases. So, yeah, that's a goal. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. And I, I, we say this a lot, like, I need to go here and look at this, but really, <laughs> I am truly obsessed with the orchid mantises, and I need to come see them. You do. Um, and, like, right now, all I can think about is how I want to Google pictures. <laughs> they're so cool. Everyone needs yeah, to look them up. I'll say, definitely, if you're listening, definitely Google orchid mantises. Yeah, they're so pretty. The females get about three inches, but the males are about an inch. Oh. It is a huge size yeah, difference. from the pictures, I would have guessed they were, like, six inches. Nope. I don't know why. Huge size difference. They're not a big mantis in general. Okay. And then... I think the nymphs are prettier than the adults oh. because a lot of times that's where usually if you Google orchid mantis, you're seeing a nymph. Oh, okay. You're seeing like the white with the fuchsia. Yeah. Um, once they get their wings, they don't look the same. Okay. Um, they're still gorgeous. And the males are almost more of like a red color. Oh, mm. no way. Yeah. I need to look, look it up and we'll just come see them in person. Yeah. <laughs> but oh, well, cool. April, I do have trivia for you if you're up for the task. Sure. Why not? Yeah. <laughs> Jenna, I'm sure you're, you're always up for the task. It's going to be like, right? how many 
Man did oh I learned it though. If I, I can remember say, Jenna, how many but numbers. Do you, do you want to know the first question of trivia? I'm gonna let Jenna answer it first because April answered it earlier. <laughs> how, many how many species of mantids are there? Twenty three hundred. Oh, you're so close. April? I had twenty four hundred. Twenty four hundred. If it's a, if it's any consolation, they that is just I don't think it's that exact amount. Okay. So twenty three could be right, twenty four could be right. Yeah. And there are three in our local area, mm -hmm. and how many in the United States did we 21. learn that? 21. Yes, we did learn that. 21. I remember that now. But yeah, right around 2,400 species of mantids, which the diversity in the insect world never ceases to amaze yeah. me. Like, that's absolutely insane. Yeah, <laughs> I looked at those numbers and how many we had had, and so we've we've had about 1% of the mantis species, <laughs> which sounds like nothing, but it's also a lot. It's also a lot, yeah. yeah. Got a long way to go. <laughs> Get to 2,400 species. All right, next up. So the word mantis is derived from a Greek word, mantikos. What is the meaning of the word mantikos? Like, how did mantids get their names? Hunter. Hunters. Hunter? That's not a big guess. <sighs> I have no idea. Like, predator. Something. Predator. So it actually goes back to kind of what we were saying about the praying mantis earlier, kind of like the the religious epithet. The manticos means prophet. Mm. Prophet or praying person. So like that's the praying mantis is how they actually okay. got their names. Okay. Yeah. Even though like you said, it's not necessarily a species that is yeah. praying mantis, it's kind of more like a colloquial term. But I thought that was interesting, yeah. Alright, next up, Jenna, these are your favorites. We got a true or false. True. 50-50 <laughs> chance here. True or false? Mantids can rotate their heads 180 degrees. True. Oh, my answer Whoa. you answer. True. <laughs> Just, yes. True. I'll see who's answering. True. You got it. In April, you could probably speak to this more than I could. But um, from what I read and what I understand, they can rotate their heads so much so that they can stay perfectly still as they're hunting and kind of looking for prey. They can still get a huge field of vision. Yeah. But, Since they're ambush predators, that's helpful. Yeah. And they have those giant eyes. Do you ever do you ever see that in action while they're getting their crickets or flies or anything? Oh yeah, I've yeah. had them turn and look at me when I'm feeding another. <laughs> one. Like they see it, they know, and I can tong feed some of them, so they'll look right at the cricket in the tongs and grab it from me. Yeah, they have great vision, right? Yes. Yeah, that's awesome. All right, last question, Jenna. You know I'm a a big <laughs> Pixar lover, so. so in the Pixar movie, The Bug's Life. A bug's life, I'm sorry. There is a mantis magician that helps the ant colony get rescued from the, the crickets. Or the grasshoppers, I'm sorry. What is the mantis magician's name? I used to love that movie growing up, but I haven't seen it in like 20 years. It's probably based on a species, too. He's a, he's a mantis magician. His partner is a butterfly. They're, they put on the show at the circus. They end up saving the whole ant colony. Starts with M. I'll give you that hint. Man <laughs> Mantodia. Mantodia. Um, Manny the Mantis. Manny the Mantis. <laughs> She's got it. Oh. What? <laughs> <laughs> I just made that up. <laughs> Jenna nails it. She dug deep into her brain from when she saw a bug fly 20 years ago. Yeah, <laughs> I guess they be more creative than that. Hail Mary pass. <laughs> Wow, we actually did decent today. Manny the Mantis. Wow. I definitely recommend seeing Bug Life. It's yes. great flick. Great flick. I'm going to watch it again with Lincoln. Right, April, thanks for being a good sport. Yeah, Going yeah of along course. With trivia. <laughs> Jenna, do we have anything else for April? Yes, so the final question. What can I do? What is something I can do to be a better steward of the earth? I think just being informed. So a lot of people will go to reptile shows that we have around here, which is a lot of times where people fall in love with things. Mm -hmm. But a lot of those places will sell mantids, they'll sell spiders, they'll sell things that are technically illegal to be brought into the country. Now, if you go and buy them there, are, is the, are the police going to come knocking down your door? Probably not. But if there's a demand for it, there's going to be a supply for it. Mm -hmm. So the less people have a demand for things that are technically illegal to bring into the country, hopefully the less the supply will come in. That's a, a good way to put it. Because, yeah, it's not like... We mentioned earlier that people just think they're amazing and they just want to have one and you, you don't necessarily think you're doing anything wrong because they're there and you want to take care of it. But Yeah, they're there. You can buy them. Like, nobody questions anything. Yeah. And I would, 
I would probably bet some of the people selling them don't even know they're illegal. They just think they're cool and a lot of people like them. So I don't think it's any, I don't think a lot of those people are being nefarious mm -hmm. about it, but it is an issue. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And it does seem to be like there's, obviously there are cases where they are confiscated, but it does seem like in general there are kind of looser restrictions and regulations, especially with invertebrates as there are, you know, you think of like the, the ivory trade with elephants and how yeah. heavily protected that is. And uh, I don't think people kind of are nearly as aware with invertebrates yeah, as or, they are. Yeah, they just don't know what's going on. But yeah. I feel like there is, there are a lot of like restrictions with, well, I don't know. But there's just a lack of knowledge. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, yeah, a lack of knowledge. And I think a lot of people think, oh, insects are so abundant. It doesn't matter how many we collect and pull. There's always going to be more. And that's not true. Yeah. If you look at the cicadas that came out this year, I don't know if anyone was mm -hmm. around this area 17 years ago. And I didn't, you know, count numbers, but there was less this year. That's what people were telling me. So where I grew up, there were always cicadas, but not this giant, like, 17-year brood that people were talking about. You'd just be walking, and you'd, they'd run into your face, and yeah. they'd hit everything, and their sidewalks were covered. And don't get me wrong, there were a lot, and they were incredibly loud. But it wasn't what the stories I had heard were. It was it, not. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of that is due to habitat, mm -hmm. because yeah. they live underground for 13 years. Well, yeah. then, if, or 17 years, depending on the species. But then if you cover that ground with concrete, right, they're, they're, not they're, coming not, out. they're not coming out. Yeah, that's wow. I had read the same thing, that the, the cicada numbers weren't as high. A lot of it went with kind of ground covering being covered up, but they also kind of like those old, old growth forests, those larger trees, yeah. and a lot of those are disappearing as well. And especially yeah. with their numbers, it, their biggest thing is numbers. So they come out in so much, so many numbers that not all of them can get eaten. Mm -hmm. Well, right. at some point, the numbers are going to be low enough that they're all just going to get picked off before they can breed, and then we have no more of this... Literally, the cicada emergence, this emergence doesn't happen anywhere else in the world. This is the largest insect emergence in the world. I know some of us can seem odd or weird to other people, <laughs> not in the animal world, but I think it, they're amazing. Yeah. I love cicadas. Yeah. I think they're so cool, and you get to see, like, their shells and exoskeletons. And, yeah. Like, but, that is, yeah, it's just a good point that in 17 years, we've been able to see a difference in numbers. Yes. That's not a very long time at all, and mm -hmm. it's obvious, obvious enough that, those of us that are just enjoying them or seeing them around, not studying them, not researching, yeah. not collecting data are seeing a difference. So, And I wasn't an insect person 17 years ago. Like, I was 17. Right. So it was a big difference. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so, obviously, the supply and demand is very important. Yeah. yeah. No, that's a great, what can I do, though? Yeah. Get informed, especially if you're interested in invertebrates. If you want to have one as a pet, that's awesome. Support it. But just make sure you're getting the right one as a pet and make sure you're going about it in the right are way. Are there right yeah. ones? Yeah. Do you know of any off the top of your head that are <laughs> more legal? Not... I don't know any off the top of my head. But okay. yeah, just look at the rules. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Great. Okay. Well, we hope everyone falls in love with mantises after this episode. And you at least look up a picture of an orchid mantis because they're amazing. They're beautiful. Yes. Yeah. Definitely. Or stop by Insect World and yes. see one in real life. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you for all the information. I found it so informative and interesting, and uh, we appreciate you being here. Yeah, you're welcome. Yeah, thanks, April. Thanks for your time. Thanks to everyone out there for tuning in to another episode of Cincinnati Zoo Tales. Have a good one.